All right, that is a banger of a song. Um, I really love it, and I love how it embodies the last few lines of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Oftentimes, walking around this world with mortal blood and fragile bones, I do not feel it deep down that this promise is true for me, and that song helps me know in my brain, experience in my heart, and feel a little bit in my rising blood pressure that this promise is even true for all y'all. Uh, we have been speaking for almost a couple months now um, about the Apostles' Creed, foundational Christian truths. If you're visiting here today, um, maybe you're fortunate to miss out on this because what we've been trying to do is stand on the foundations of the creed and tease out the implications for what it means to be an embodied follower of Jesus standing on the word of God and in particular for aspects of human sexuality. So we have gone to some difficult, awkward, and, and thorny places along the way. Um, here's what I believe about the gospel, about the creed, as it retells the story of the scripture, that between all these lines that we say, and today the line for us is, I believe in the life everlasting, that there is a wide open door of good news hospitality for every single person who comes seeking the Lord, that this can be the pathway for you. And that over time, we are also growing toward a target that is so high and holy and lofty that it calls forth radical obedience and sacrifice for each and every one of us. And between those two extremes, there's the gift of time and space and grace so that you can figure out with the help of the Holy Spirit how to put one foot after another and walk in Jesus' name. That's what these whole couple months is all about. To use the phrase life everlasting, um, I never see this phrase in newsprint. I never see this phrase on the news websites that I read about. Outside of Christian circles, um, this is not something that's spoken of very often. And it's because, I think just common sense tells us, uh, not much in this place, this world, lasts. Uh, anybody drive a car here today? All right. Beautiful. On any given Sunday, there's like six or seven million dollars worth of cars in this parking lot. Like that's a lot of automotive value for one parking lot, right? Where are all those cars going to be in 20 years? Anyone? Junkyards. They are going to be squashed into tiny little squares. Hopefully we'll do better about recycling as many, much of them as we can. But like no car in this parking lot is making it to 2050 unless you are really, really a fastidious car owner. <laughs> right? Um, there are people wearing some amazing clothes here today. I guarantee if you take a picture of yourself today, and 15 years from this very date, October 23, 2037, you look at your outfit today, you will think to yourself, what was I thinking? <laughs> Every older person has had this experience <laughs> innumerable times. Um, see my wedding pictures. We have some young people sitting in the front. <laughs> 
and older people. It's hard to imagine if you're a teenager, every single older person in this room was once as young as you. And look what happened to us, right? I'm sorry to like, Lord willing, you'll grow to be old, healthy, Jesus loving people, but like you're gonna, you're gonna get old and like it's, it's coming for all of us. And we do well, cause you know, they haven't been old yet, but all of us older folks have been young before. This is a crucial thing to keep in mind. None of our stuff is making it out of here alive. How about our institutions? Because we pour our best common sense and wisdom into those. I mean, we're about to have an election. How about our governors and senators? How about our judges? How about presidents and princesses? No, none of them make it out either. How about the government itself? How's the Roman Empire doing these days? Some of you are like, what is the Roman Empire? Like, how's the Persian Empire doing these days? Any of the Chinese dynasties? All in the past tense. How about Christian governments? Because some of us in the United States of America are under the opinion, like, wow, if we just got a bunch of Christians into government, it would really clean up the whole land and put us on an amazing trajectory. Do you know there was once a country that had a Christian government and 99% of their population claimed to be Bible-believing Christians? In the year 1899, this was true in the Netherlands. Little European country, actually immigrants from that country were most of the population that founded this very church when it became a Christian reformed church. Like that seems like a pretty strong role, right? Like you got the government, literally there was a Christian, it's, it's, I hate to use this word, but it was called the Christian Nationalist Anti-Revolutionary Party in Holland. There was a reformed guy named Abraham Kuyper who was the prime minister of the Netherlands. We are 123 years later. How is the Netherlands doing in terms of its Christian commitments? Anybody visited Amsterdam lately? In fact, less than 17% of the citizens of the Netherlands acknowledge Jesus Christ here today in 2022. So if you aspire that, wow, just if we, if spiritual people, Bible-believing people could kind of like lead the charge, things would turn out well, there's this stunning example of having that, and it actually is the least Christian country in all of Europe at this point. Is that depressing? It's kind of super depressing. What lasts? What lasts? If it's not our stuff, if it's not even our best institutions, how about the Bible? Now, I'm not talking about this purple Bible in particular. But I mean, like the word of God. Is that going to last? <laughs> yes, please, someone say the truth. Like this thing is going to last, not this book, not these pages, but the word of God, like what comes out of God's essence, what God declares to be and what God speaks into humanity that is the one thing that I know is going to last because God says so. Jesus' kingdom, God's word, 
And because his people stand on his word, his people, not in these mortal bodies, but in life everlasting. What lasts? God's word, God's kingdom, God's people, God's promises. There was once a great, great king 2,500 years ago, Darius I, the king of the Persian Empire. He was known as King of Kings and Lord of Lords in his time. He's mentioned a few times in some of the prophets, in the book of Daniel, this Hebrew prophet named Daniel uh, served in Darius's government. Darius got hoodwinked into making some laws against praying. Daniel prayed anyway. The corporal punishment was to get thrown into a lion's den. Have you ever heard this story? Amazing story. Daniel prays. The lions do not eat him. Darius goes there in the morning, is flabbergasted that Daniel is still alive. And after Daniel comes back to earth level, Darius sends these words recorded in the Bible around the Persian Empire. Remember, this is like the strongest politician on the planet. Imagine that Vladimir Putin sent out these words. Or Premier Chi sent out these very words. Here's what he says. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Like, like what? For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end Can you see that this is a politician who gets it? The difference between temporary things and lasting things? He rescues, he saves, he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Just because this guy got it doesn't mean his empire endured forever. In fact, it was very short-lived. But amazing amazing that one of the powerful people actually saw my kingdom is temporary. My stuff is temporary. My power, super brief. Daniel's God, the God who can pull somebody back from the dead, like that God, that kingdom, that's going on forever. I brought with me a tiny little, I mean, it's a gourd pumpkin. It's really cute if you can't see it. Um, We were joking around. It's like a pumpkin muffin, but it's neither a muffin nor a pumpkin. Okay, here's the point of this. Imagine for a moment that this pumpkin muffin represents the entire known universe. Okay, that's a lot to cram into a tiny little pumpkin, but just the proportions are off, but imagine all of time and space and the material universe, like it's right there, all of history, every atom and molecule that ever existed and I I mean this very humbly, but just like pretend my hand is the presence of God. Like that's how it works. Like God is outside of time and space. Like what is before or after to the hand of God? Does that concept even make sense to God? Every single person who has ever lived, every planet that has ever spun, every galaxy that is bolting out toward the edge of the known universe Like God spoke into existence, sees, holds, and it continues to exist because of his providential care. We are so time-bound 
that even the idea of not before or after, life everlasting, like, blows up all of our categories. It blows up all of our calendars. It blows up all of our timelines. We can scarcely begin to imagine that God would be so big, so wise, so powerful. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, God is. God is infinitely beyond this humorous little example that I'm trying to give you. Because God is so mighty, when he promises to give you, to invite you into an eternal, everlasting life, I don't know how to describe it. I only know how to repeat after Jesus that that is what God is promising you. Not a 10% better version of what you currently have. How not awesome would that be forever and ever? Like a mind-blowingly different new heavens and new earth experience. Sometimes the Bible uses the word eternal to describe this. Sometimes it uses the word everlasting life as the creed does to describe this. They're actually two different sides of the same coin. If something is eternal, it has to do with its quality, its durability, the fact that you cannot break it or blow it up or destroy it. Like God is giving you, promising you that quality of life, a life that can no longer be broken. The other side of the coin is that God is promising you an everlasting life, which has to do with its duration and blows up our categories of point A, point B, beginning terminus, ending terminus. With God, there is none of that anymore because it's forever and ever. I would like to cue the music from Handel's Messiah right now. You know this line? And he shall reign forever and ever. It's one of the best musical lines in this whole thing. Like Rattle, it helps expand my imagination to actually believe that this might be true. What is this life like? What is everlasting life like? When time is no more and folds in on itself, when we see that distant shore drawing near and a new country under a swift sunrise where there is a new heaven and a new earth where everything is new. I would say every day, but there's no more sun and no more moon because the presence of God lights up the whole thing so they're no longer necessary, but everything is still new and infinite because there's the possibility for growth, for friendship, for adventure. I mean, just think if there's so much space and freedom uh, that you have the opportunity to speak in their native language with every human being that God has adopted into his family, in their native tongue. And you don't know it when you start talking to them, but like, there's no time. So they can teach you, and you can learn it. Every music that there ever was, is, or shall be, we'll all have time to like learn the guitar and be like Doug Bardoff and sing like birds in a thousand different ways. And there will be adventure after adventure. Our culture is so lousy about expanding our imaginations. Like our culture just shows some puffy like white clouds and fat chubby angels. Like don't take me there. 
<laughs> like not here, not forever. It sounds horrible. Or we describe church as, or we describe heaven as just like a church service that never ends. Also sounds horrible, right? I mean, church services are awesome, but they should last, you know, a few hours tops. What is it like? What is it like? I mean, I can't say too much because the Bible doesn't say too much. 1 Corinthians 2 says this, As it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. Does that sound like you're going to grasp it? No, it sounds like it is literally like so good, but also true that we can't get our little minds around it. If you ever have tried explaining a complex political problem to your cat or dog, like that is the equivalent of God trying to explain everlasting life to us. We do not currently have the equipment to figure it out or understand it. What is it like? More than words can say, languages fail, poetries fail, but the incredible thing is that even though we don't understand it, our opportunity to receive the ticket to the train that is going there is right here and right now. That's one of the things that gives dignity and respect and so much significance to the lives we are currently living. Because God has given us the opportunity to open our hands and receive what only Jesus can give you, which is the entrance into beautiful, whole eternal, everlasting life. It's for right here. It's for right now. And sadly, uh, I confess this as a pastor, I confess this for the church, we haven't always done like an awesome job making that seem inviting and winsome uh, to the young people in our church, to the people who are outside of the church. So some data came out recently indicating that if you're a kid who has grown up in a Christian evangelical church in North America, like 95% of our young people have gotten the memo on what I would say is a little bit the unfortunate memo on like the church's attitude toward human sexuality. Like basically don't do it or you're, you're doing something really horrible and wrong. Like that's not exactly how I would want to frame it and have been trying to frame it differently these last seven weeks, that God being a good creator is giving us this awesome gift and, you know, like all the rest. Ninety-some percent of our kids got the memo on this across America. Less than half of our kids have gotten the message that Jesus is the eternal son of God. Like, are you like, seriously, how is that? I mean, kids know who Jesus is, but we haven't done a great job, like, making clear, like, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's not like Jesus, God made Jesus at one point in time and sent him to earth. Like Jesus is there from before time, in the beginning with God. He is as much God as God the Father. The Holy Trinity, it describes their relationship to one another, but not the fact that Jesus like, is time-bound like the rest of us. Somehow we have missed telling our kids about the truth of the bodily resurrection of Jesus on Easter. Like, I'm not blaming you guys. Like, we've, we've done a lousy job as the church in North America. 
But here's what we believe. The possibility of eternal life for you and me and everybody in here is not because we live really good lives or grow up to be like really good Christian girls or boys. It's totally linked to the fact that we are in Christ and Jesus lived a perfect life, died, was dead, placed in a tomb, and the power of God raised him up to a glorious, healed, eternal life. And if your life is hooked into Jesus, that is what is coming for you too. That is where life everlasting comes from. So, Klein, you and I should pledge to do a be- <laughs> like do a better job of highlighting these very things, right? Because this is where the grace of God, the free gift, so that we step on the train that is heading to eternity, that's where it comes from. So if life is going to go on forever, there's one primary word that I would want to use to describe it. And it is the Bible's primary adjective, especially in the Old Testament, then embodied by Jesus for describing the character of God. Because if God is eternal, how could it be that his kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth would not be a mirror image of the qualities of God himself? When Moses asked God for his name, God says, I am that I am. When God reveals himself, he reveals himself as the living one. Like eternal life is like built in there. In Exodus chapter 34, Moses has another amazing experience in the presence of God. God reminds Moses of his name. I am that I am. And then, this is not going to appear on the screen, so listen up carefully. God says this about himself. I am the Lord, the compassionate one, the gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is the primary reveal of the character of God. God is compassionate. It doesn't mean that there's no judgment. It doesn't mean that the truth of God is not the truth of God. It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't going to judge every single person. There's later words in Exodus 34 about that. But the first primary, most important thing that characterizes the heart of God and the eternal life that is coming for all of us is compassion graciousness, forgiveness. If you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, I would invite you to evaluate your own spiritual progress, especially along these lines. Has five years of walking with Jesus made you more compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, clear about the truth, 1,500 years ago, a man named Isaac wrote these words about Christians. The same thing about our Lord is true of all the saints. As we become holy, they attain this characteristic of the Lord in the outpouring of their love and compassion on all humanity 
And this shall be for the church a luminous sign of the serenity of our souls. On examining yourself, you find yourself full of compassion for all people. And your heart is afflicted with pity for them, burning as though with fire. Whew. Any American Christians look at people outside of your Christian, of your preferred political party, and just have pure pity, patience for the possible misunderstanding of people who don't agree with you? Oh, mercy. Christian maturity means looking more like God the Father, the I am that I am, Yahweh, who defines his very name and being as gracious and compassionate. Not talking about denying the truth, not talking about cheap grace, not talking about turning a blind eye to nonsense, but how beautiful will the church be if our first reaction was to understand others and have our heart break a little bit more. And in that little crack in our heart to be compelled to offer what we have received, an invitation to a life that is so much better than this one from Jesus himself. So what are we to do in the meantime? I'm gonna read a couple more short passages. One is personal, one is communal. One of the first Christians, the Apostle Paul, struggled with this very thing because on his shoulders was a burden to do a whole bunch of things in Jesus' name right here and right now. So he wrote this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I'm gonna be obedient, keep doing what God says tells me. But what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two, this life and real life or eternal life. I desired to depart and be with Christ, which surely is better by far. Paul is pointing out this tension that every real follower of Jesus experiences, which is living to love Jesus right now, and yet also understanding that there is infinitely more that has not yet arrived. It's not yet here. It's not yet in my brain. It's not yet in my bones. So what's a person to do? Embrace the tension. In so many ways, the Christian life is about embracing these paradoxes and tension. Radical hospitality for all people. Holding up a high target for being an obedient, holy follower of Jesus. Living all in, almost as if this world is so valuable, it's all there is, and giving our absolute all in energy to serve, to put ourselves into developing the gifts that God has given us, to love our church, and also to understand, I have no idea how good and big and awesome what is coming. Like, that is a paradox to live with that kind of embrace. Paul continues, our citizenship is not in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, here's what's coming, will transform these lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious resurrected body. 
What was Jesus' resurrected body like? I mean, it was confusing for people who saw him in person after the resurrection. They kind of recognized him at first, and then they'd be like, it's the Lord. Sometimes Jesus would walk through walls. He could just like appear and disappear as if the laws of the physical uh, universe didn't totally apply to him anymore, but there he was, and he could make breakfast, and he could eat fish, so he was still flesh and blood. Whatever Jesus was post-Easter, like, that is what we shall one day be. And from the book of Daniel, here is a picture from 2,500 years ago. It's not like the creed made this up. It's not like contemporary pastors made this up. This idea has been coming through the word of God for millennia at this point. And Daniel the prophet gives this picture to people who are living in frustrating times. At that time, your people, God's people, the lot of us, everyone whose name is written in the book, the book of life, will be delivered. Delivered from what? Delivered from this crucial, important temporary brief life. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life. Others to shame and everlasting contempt. This is why it's so crucial to say yes to Jesus. Those who are wise will shine like the stars, like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Which option would you like? Would you like the shine like stars forever in everlasting life, or would you like the everlasting shame and contempt doorway number two? As far as I know with God, this is not, is not let's make a deal, there is no door number three. Is that, no one under the age of 50 understands this. Would you like the no more pain, no more war, no more tears, no more cancer option? Or would you like the no presence of God, no voice of God to show you the way so that you get to go and do your own thing, door? As far as I can tell, the Bible lays out these two pathways, the way of the wise and the way of the foolish, with Jesus or without Jesus, in Christ or outside of Christ. And again, that is why this moment, this is why your life is so strategically important in the eternal and everlasting kingdom that God is building. I did this last week uh, during baptism, but I'm going to do it again just to demonstrate how I believe this works. You may be sitting there thinking, okay, how do I say yes to Jesus? Like, how do I get on this amazing option and like, keep my feet from stumbling down the everlasting shame and contempt option. This paper is your life. This Bible is the life of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, our Lord, crucified, died, buried, resurrected, ascended into heaven, who will come to judge the living and the dead. Jesus does this. He opens his life to you. And this is, this is an act of faith. This is what faith amounts to. Taking your life as much as you can receive it and own it yourself, putting it in the life of Christ and allowing Jesus to hold you. 
That's it. This is eternal life because what's going to happen to the word of God? It is, going, is it going the way of your Tesla? No. Is it going the way of your sweater? No. Is it going the way of your current job? No. The word of God is going to endure. So if your life is in Christ, your life is an everlasting life too. That is the promise. We could talk about how to do this, next steps, um, really for 100 years. But the important thing is putting yourself in the embrace of Jesus, putting your feet on Jesus' path, and allowing God to hold you, body, soul, life, death, school, work, sexuality, money, generosity, the whole nine yards in Christ. No part of life outside of Christ. All of us in Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, uh, it boggles our mind to think that even now you are living and reigning at the right hand of God the Father, that someday you are going to come back, wrap up this world, judge the living and the dead, and inaugurate a kingdom of a new heavens and a new earth. God, many of us have professed our faith in you, have acknowledged that you are who you say you are, but for each of us, Lord, uh, by faith, many of us would aspire to know more of Christ, to be deeper in Christ, to be held more securely in Christ. So Lord, for many of us uh, at the end of this hour, hear that desire in our hearts, hear that prayer of ours, and wrap us in your care, in your compassion, in your life, and never let us go. Our hands are not strong enough to keep hold of you, but surely your hands are strong enough to keep us, for Jesus' sake. And everybody says, amen.